right, well, let's see if this works. And uh, today was one of those days, so I really appreciate your patience in this. Um, welcome to Restoration. If you're new, we're glad you're here. Um, we got a lot of little babies in the house today. We got Tom and Hannah's babies, and Aubrey and Randy's baby. We got, and they're beautiful girls. I mean, we're just, I'm just so proud of this church for having babies. Um, <laughs> keep up the good work. And... Uh, so, like, I, like Kimberly and Jean said earlier, if you're, uh, my wife's not here, so I can say whatever I want. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, like Kimmy and Jean said, if you're new, uh, we'd love to in- invite you for like a little 10, 15 minute lunch next door just to, just to say hi and tell you a little bit about us. Um, and you didn't have to RSVP. We just, we over buy food. That's what we do. So, uh, come next door and hang out with us afterwards. Um, we're going to take our offering right now. It's kind of something we do every, every week. It's the way we worship. Um, and and just, just so you know, um, I just got an update from um, this school in Kenya that we support. And I can't wait to show you some pictures um, in the next few weeks and just tell you what's going on there. But part of what you do when you give to this place is you're not just giving to, um, you know, new technology here and there and stuff like that. You're actually giving to some bigger global things. And so... I'm really excited to share a little bit more about you, about Kenya with you. So we'll take our offering now. And as we do, I just wanted to share a couple of announcements. Um, one of them is just like a, a, just a staff transition leadership thing. Jen Hinshaw, um, who it's her birthday today. So uh, Jen has been on our staff for over two years, uh, leading students um, and just, uh, just the way things go in life and transition, it's time, or she just feels like it's time to move out of that, especially since things have kind of shrunk a little bit. Um, we had a, like eight seniors last year graduate, um, and then we have this huge gap, and then we have my son, and then we have a huge, no, and then it's like some junior hires, and so we're trying to reorganize uh, student ministry in the next few weeks. You're going to hear more about that. Um, Jen is transitioning off of staff, and she's going to be concentrating on a couple of things. One, her own business. Um, Two, um, the young adults in our church. And three, they're expecting their second. So um, I could share that, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah, well, here it is. It's on the podcast now. Um, So hopefully we will cut that part out. But... um, Jen, will you come up? We just want to celebrate you, and uh, will you guys give Jen a huge hand? She, uh, for uh, two years now, it's just been so fun to get to know Jen and Elliot, and um, when we initially hired Elliot, um, I remember we had a backyard conversation around our fire pit. You remember that? And um, it was Angela and I, and Elliot and Jen, and we were we were lighting stuff on fire and hanging out, and... Uh, Jen just shared this passion she had for students. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't just like a, yeah, I like hanging out with students. It was a very emotional, powerful, passionate um, love for junior hires and high schoolers. And that began a journey for two years where Jen, is, I don't know if you know, she's super sweet on the outside and super competitive on the inside. I don't know if you knew that. Um, and she just got this heart and this love and this sweetness uh, towards people that is, I mean, you just, um, it's just really, really special. And so we're so thankful for you. And um, we, we miss you and, and um, Beckham in staff meeting. But um, sure. so, 
Um, well, we miss you in staff meeting. And um, <laughs> so, but we're so excited for what God's doing in your life. And uh, we know you're not going to not be a part of students, but um, to not have to lead it. Um, and so I want to pray for Jen and then we'll continue on. Okay. God, thank you so much for Jen and Elliot and their heart for this church. And as they explore and as she explores this next season in her life, um, God, would you just grant her just great favor and uh, great wisdom and continue to show her where you're leading her and where you want her to be involved and where you want her to pursue people. Um, and so, God, we're just so grateful for her and her willingness to sacrifice and her willingness to serve. And so we just want to lift her up this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, Jen. Will you give her a hand, everybody? That's so cool. And, um, we're going to pray one more time now. And I know you're like, geez, this church prays too much. But um, <laughs> we are a part of a collection of churches that pray for each other. And this weekend's actually a really, really important weekend for a local church near us. And it's Faith Bible Chapel. And if you're familiar with uh, the Arvada area for the last oh, decades, faith has been kind of a pillar of, of the church world here in Arvada. And it's been led by uh, George and Cheryl Morrison, and they're retiring this weekend. And there's a big, um, it, and that's hard, it's big, it's huge. And, and you can imagine after 40 years, um, what happens in your, in your heart and, and as a church and as a leader in that transition. And so we just want to lift up Faith Bible Chapel and the things they do in this community. And there are a lot of things are unseen. Um, but we want to lift up George and Jason and his wife, Cheryl. Isn't that weird? Um, that, uh, that when they take over, um, that God would show them favor. So you pray with me. We're praying with a whole bunch of churches in Arvada this morning. God, thank you. For the work you're doing in the lives of people through the ministry of faith. And we thank you for George and Cheryl and their countless years of serving people and loving people and uh, pursuing people. And we know it's just made a huge impact in this world. Not only here in Arvada, but all over the world. And so, God, we lift up this community that is in the midst of a transition from one leader to another. And we understand and we get those emotions and all those things that go into that. And so, God, we just ask that there would be unity at, at that church and that you would um, just give that church a fresh vision and a fresh mission where you would have them go. And so we lift them up to you today. Pray these things in your name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you're going to need it today, and you're going to need to get your thumbs ready because we're going to be moving around. Um, here's, here's one of the things you need to know. There's probably not scripture on screen, right? Right, Randy? What's that? Oh, he's got us. I'll check it out. So we got scripture on screen. So those of you who are like, dang it, I got to look things up. Well, now you can go the lazy route. But if you would like to look things up, we'd love to have you join us. We're going to be in Matthew. Uh, last week, we, we uh, were talking about some uh, two big words um, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 goes like this. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And uh, we spent uh, quite a bit of time on two words. One of them was wilderness. And we talked about what the wilderness was, the kind of the big piece of what that was in the Old Testament. That it was a place of paradox and it was a place of preparation and, and all that went into that. And so you can check that out on the podcast if you'd like. The other was the word devil. Right, And uh, we talked about uh, how, you know, sometimes in practical reality for us, it's kind of like, really? You know, there's this kind of um, part of us that, that culturally, I think that our culture kind of gives us this conditioning um, that, that kind of leads us to believe that um, if you can't touch it, you can't feel it, you can't see it, then it's not really there. And so we have a hard time sometimes with that, that person, that, that, that character in scripture as the devil. And, uh, but really we kind of landed with last week as, as Jesus is, goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we, we don't talk specifically about those temptations, but we talked about the adversary and this person, this, this Satan, it's ha satan, which means the adversary, um, in Hebrew and, um, that much of Jesus's life and ministry was about warfare against this adversary and how it's really difficult to, to completely understand and follow Jesus. If we don't understand this part, that this is a very real piece of what Jesus was about his whole goal. And we'll see this shortly was to wage war and set people free. That's his whole mission. And so we, we realized a couple of things last week. One, you can't understand the message and purpose okay, of Jesus without warfare language. You just can't. It's all throughout. And the second thing is, is you can't really understand your mission as a follower of Jesus unless you understand that you're a part of it. You can't, you can't follow Jesus and not be a part of this. And so we're going to kind of dive in a little bit as it gets further here, because after Jesus is tempted, it says that uh, a number of things start happening. And, and Jesus, this last week at Pub Chat, we talked about the, the reality that Jesus says there's two kingdoms. And the question we asked each other was, do we really believe that? Do we really like believe that there are two kingdoms? So Matthew chapter four, verse 12, we're going to continue on. Okay. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Okay, skip down to 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. 
News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, to really get an understanding about what is happening here, we're going to play geography time, okay? Because as you can tell, there's so many things that are listed here, and all of these places are very important for us to understand what Jesus is doing and what the impact is on what Jesus is doing. And so, I don't think we're going to have the map up, but I have a map, no map. Okay, so just pretend there's a map on the screen. Now, here's how this goes. Um, There are two um, lakes, there's two bodies of water in in this area. Anybody know what those are? Anybody? Sea of Galilee, up to the top, and then there's a river that connects the Sea of Galilee, and that's the Jordan River, right? And it goes down to what? The Dead Sea, okay? So just in your mind, picture two lakes and a river between them, okay? Um, up near the top, there's a place called Galilee. And this is where Jesus starts. In verse 12, it says this, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. I mean, the first place Jesus goes is Galilee. Now, that might not seem strange to you, but if you're a good Jewish person and you want to take over the world for for you know the Jewish people, where should you start? Jerusalem, right? I mean, wouldn't that be the place you would want to start things off? But no, he goes to Galilee, and Galilee is this kind of podunk farm area, um, and, and we'll get a little idea of what that is next, because Matthew actually uses some old-school Uh, locations to talk about this. Matthew's really into something called sacred geography, okay? And and Matthew's Jewish, and he's writing to Jewish people, and they understand what Zebulun and Naphtali are. We don't. We just, like, hope we pronounce it right, and we move on. But, But Matthew is saying this for a reason. Because Zebulun and Naphtali are actually the the most northern two tribes of Israel before Israel was carried off into captivity. So where Jesus shows up to start his whole ministry is the the exact location that the first groups of people carried off by the Assyrians were. When an invading army comes in, they're the first ones on the border. They're the first ones to feel the effects of that. And so Jesus starts there. And so for the people that Matthew's writing to, they're like, oh, wow, like I get it now. Like there is this restoration thing happening that the prophet talked about, that, that Jesus is coming to this place to start to the, the reclamation project, right? And so the Assyrians do that 700 years before Matthew wrote this. Then you have Syria, which we're not going to get into all that, but there's just kind of a bigger region there that has to do with uh, other peoples. And then you have, he mentions the Decapolis, okay? We've talked about the Decapolis. It's a 10 city, okay, with me on that? Decapolis, a 10 city location that was Alexander the Great, you know, when he came in and conquered the known world, he he set up... uh, places that were very Hellenistic, and and that was part of the cultural way to take over a country, you would actually set up a new culture. 
in order to take over a people, you would assimilate them into your culture. And that culture was gymnasiums, bathhouses, theaters, things like that. Very Greek uh, mythology, a whole bunch of things going on there. And so the Decapolis was a region that was like way, way more uh, sophisticated um, in terms of entertainment and, and, and a bunch of different things. And so uh, we talk about this, we've talked about this before, but this is an area that if you were a peasant Galilean farmer, okay, you could see the Decapolis across the Sea of Galilee. You could see the cliffs of the Decapolis across the Sea of Galilee. And, and in your mind, you would know that that is a whole different world. That is the, the Vegas, okay, of, of the world, right? You're this poor peasant farmer. That's a whole different world. And then if you were a, a Jewish young man, or uh, you would probably be enticed by the stories that you heard about the Decapolis. A place to go. And so when Pompey and his Roman legions took control of the area in 63 BC, they kept it separate from Jewish territory. It was its own little kind of Greek enclave. And so the farmers, like I said, would know about this and, 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 and they knew of the history of the Decapolis. If you were a good Jewish uh, historian, if you knew your stories, you knew that this was the area that people were expelled to who worshipped Baal. This, was, this goes all the way back, okay, all the way back to Deuteronomy, all the way back to Joshua. This goes all the way back there. And he mentions Jerusalem, and we talked about this already, the center of Jewish worship. This is where, you know, if you were a power player when it comes to the Jewish faith, if you were a, 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 you know, a teacher of the law, if you, were, if you were involved in the structure of the Jewish faith, you knew Jerusalem was the place to be. And then there's Judea. And there's a region across the Jordan. This is, these are those lands, like if you, if you ever look up the Edomites and the Moabites, remember last summer we talked about Moab with the book of Ruth. This is the area of cross the Jordan. So why am I getting geeked out about geography? Well, when you read this and you hear that people are coming from all of these places, people are coming from Galilee and the Decapolis and Syria and these foreign lands across the Jordan. And people are coming from Jerusalem and Judea. People are coming from all over. And they're bringing people who are not right. They're being, bringing people who are sick and diseased and demon-possessed and in pain and suffering. And they're bringing these people. And they had to, I mean, if you're going to walk 50 miles with someone who's sick, there has to be something drawing you. There has to be something about this announcement of a different kingdom that is pulling you, okay, from to make some sort of a pilgrimage to this weirdo in the wilderness. Right? I mean, just think how profound this is, how, how big this is. We read right past it. We're just like, these are places I don't know. But this is a big deal. And it says, from that time on, in verse 17, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I mean, he, he mentions it's here now, but it's coming in the future. It's this idea of it's already here, and you can see its effects, okay? 
But it's not totally here yet. It's coming and it's here. It's, it, it's, it's hard for us to really get. And people come from all these places. And this announcement really is for him. To, he's, he's demonstrating that there's, it doesn't matter if you're religious and you come from Jerusalem or you're irreligious and you come from somewhere else or you're an insider or an outsider or you're a man or you're a woman or you're sick and, and, or, or you're demon-possessed. It doesn't matter anything. If you're a Jew or a Gentile, there is this beautiful like draw to this announcement of the kingdom of God. So last week we talked that this kingdom that Jesus talks about is set against the kingdom of this world. That there is a war happening. There's some, we don't like that language sometimes, but I'm just saying this is the language that scripture uses. There's something, they're set against each other. That Jesus has announces this kingdom that is, that is set against this opposite, opposite yet unequal kingdom on the other end. And, and what we learn in scripture is that you and I are born into this other kingdom. We're just born into it. I mean, it is, I don't know if you want to go next door and see what uh, children, children just have this natural propensity to know that they want things and they don't, I mean, I've never had to, you know, tell my kids to stop sharing. Um, it's just, it's just not what they do. There's this inward default in us and we're born into a kingdom that has that as its, its root. And this is why Jesus tells Nicodemus, this is why you have to be born again. This is why you have to be born out of it. And so it's, it's, this is how this whole thing sets up. And, 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 and so we, we just have to ask some questions. Like, if Jesus is God incarnate, and we are called to live um, a life of following this Jesus, then we take on his worldview, right? And his worldview is two kingdoms. His worldview is there's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. His worldview is there's a reality, okay, that we see physically, and then there's an invisible reality that's equally as real. John talks about this in in a lot of his, his writings, he talks about the prince of this age. We talked about this last week. It's called the archon, the prince of this age. And it's, and it's usually what they would use in, in terms in that, a, in that day and age to talk about a chief ruler of a certain geographic region. So the, the prince of this region. Well, John calls the devil the prince of this world. And so these are really big images. Like, for instance, if we go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, uh, Paul says this, For he has brought us, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there's this war that's going on, okay? The war's been won, but it's still raging, it's still happening. Um, and, and so uh, the best illustration I can give to you that is, is you ever been around a, somebody at a pool party and, th- and they try to throw you in the pool, right? You ever been trying to throw, someone try to throw you in a pool and you're like fully clothed? Anybody? There's like two of us, three of us. Okay, now the hands are going up. So if that hasn't happened to you, let's hang out this summer um, and we'll figure out a way to get you in. But um, 
like if someone starts to push you into a pool, what do you do? You try to take as many people with you as you go. That's the rule. Like you have to grab onto people and you may not be not trying to take people with you, but you're trying to get people to hold you from going in. But, but I feel like this is how this is working with the two kingdoms of this world. One is just trying to take as many with them. And, and the battle's over, but it's still happening. It's, it's won, but it's still raging. That's kind of the picture of this, this idea that, that, that Paul says there's this dominion of darkness. There's this other world, okay? And, and Jesus has come to rescue us from that and bring us out into a kingdom of the son he, that loves us and, and whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins, this idea that we're being rescued out of lies and into truth that you're being rescued out of darkness into light, that you're being rescued out of slavery into freedom. And, it's, and it's, uh, it's a hard reality to understand this sometime, that there's no neutral ground. There's no non-combatants, right? This is just how Jesus see it, sees it. And so the reality, according to Jesus, is this. You and I are now choosing, okay, Two kingdoms, we're choosing between two kingdoms all the time. Like, all the time. Like, whether you're on Facebook, or (laughs) whether you're driving, or whether you're deciding on money, or whether you're in an argument, or whether you're dealing with anger, or whether you're by yourself in front of your computer, it doesn't matter that you and I are always choosing between two kingdoms. That's where we're at. And when we think, a lot of times when we think of things like, we think of the term spiritual warfare. Okay, when you think of that term, what do you think of? You probably think of the exorcist or something like that, right? You think of something like big. Um, and, and not to say that that doesn't exist, it does. Trust me, I was on a missions trip and um, I saw some things um, with one of the girls we took from our youth group that... Um, led me to believe in a very real way that demonic activity was at work. I'm not going to get into that story today. But a lot of times when we think spiritual warfare, that's what we think. But spiritual warfare, it also includes the way that you live and the way that I live. Uh, The question then becomes, do I feed the darkness? Do I feed one kingdom or do I feed the other? Which one do I feed And that really gets into the heart of where we're going to this. So practically speaking, let's talk about a couple of issues. First one is this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 6. Listen to this. This is uh, the Apostle John. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And he goes on to talk about having, uh, hating a brother or sister. And he says that if you hate a brother or sister, and he talks about that in terms of, you know, our community here, but he he says, if you hate someone in your community, if you hate somebody who's, who's also a follower of me, then, then you're in the wrong kingdom. That's what he says. He says, what kingdom you are choosing is not based on what you say you're choosing. It's based on everything on what you do and how you live. That's the kingdom piece of this. 
So scripture has this really practical kind of flow to this. So let's talk about hatred really quick. Anybody hate somebody in the room? Oh, come on. I mean, no, no, you don't have to hate somebody in the room. Does anybody have somebody in their mind, in their heart that they, maybe they hate? Brandy does. I'm so proud of you, Randy. Anybody else? Anybody, anybody else honest? Okay. How about a group of people? Is there a group of people that you hate? I don't know. Is this election thing going in through your mind at all? Is, this, is there anything there? Um, is, I, mean, I mean, think about this. Have, if you have hate in your hearts, if I have hate in my heart, then I have to ask myself, what kingdom am I feeding? Which one am I feeding? And the kingdom of darkness is the hate side. And the kingdom of light is the forgiveness side. And is there something that happens in me spiritually when I feed one or the other? Right? See, the kingdom of uh, darkness and the kingdom of light, that's not like a, yeah, I'll dabble in both. Get a little here, get a little there. 1 Corinthians is this, on, there's this discussion that um, there's two letters that Paul writes to the Corinthian church. The first one, he actually tells them that there's this guy in the church, this gets really awkward, I'm trying to summarize this, but there's a guy in the church who is sinning outwardly and blatantly and, um, and he's not repenting, he's not kind of dealing with this sin well, and so Paul tells them to expel him. Paul tells the church that this guy needs to be pushed outside of the community in hopes that, okay, the loss of that community would help him to see his brokenness and come back and ask forgiveness. Okay, this is, this is Paul's letter writing it to them in 1 Corinthians. Now in 2 Corinthians, apparently it worked, Okay. It worked. And this is the cool part about the two letters, okay? It worked. So in 2 Corinthians, um, let's go to chapter 2, verse 8. It says, he says, I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him, okay? And listen to this. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware of his schemes. So evidently, forgiving this brother and bringing him back into the faith had two purposes to it. One, um, to reaffirm their love for him, and two, to do war against the adversary. And there's something that Paul says over and over again in his writings, over and over again. He, we call them the one another's, right? Forgive one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, bear with one another. Oh, all, all throughout Paul's writings. Why do you think Paul was doing that? Well, it's because they were still human beings. I mean, I don't know if you figured this out yet, but going to church doesn't, doesn't mean that everybody there is like, got it together. 
I mean, it doesn't mean you, you walking in here doesn't mean you're a nice person. It doesn't mean that, you know, you and I are going to get along. It doesn't mean any of those things. We are kind of a broken mess of people with different things that we're struggling with and, and fiercely battling in our lives. And, and that spills out on each other. I mean, for instance, if person A is mad at person B, according to scripture, what should person A do? Go to, go to person B, right? What happens a lot of time? A goes to C through E, right? And tells them how crazy B is. And that's called slander and gossip. And yet, for some reason, in our, uh, our economy, as far as sin goes, that's not a big deal. That's not as big a deal as, say, some other things, right? Right? Oh, but it's a huge deal. Paul actually calls that spiritual warfare. He calls that feeding one kingdom and not the other. Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, don't sin. Let's talk about anger, honestly. I mean, how does it get a hold of us? How does it stay? I mean, it's kind of an exciting emotion, isn't it? Just getting fired up, turning my angry music on. You know, he says, do not give anger a place to stay. That actually means do not give it a place to rest. Do not give it a place to stretch out in your life. See, these are all interesting biblical pieces, right? We hear in scripture all the time, two paths, two kingdoms, you know, two roads, Two gates. And yet, yet we're set free completely, but there's a chance we can feed darkness. And then that darkness will actually have authority over us. Will actually have a way into us. Listen to James 4, 4. This will be the last piece of scripture today. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. There's no, there's no two ways about it. There's no this and that. There's no a little of this, a little. I mean, it's just really clear what scripture says, that there are these two kingdoms. And really for us, from our perspective, sometimes it's hard to tell. Sometimes it's really hard to tell which one's really at work. He says this for... All of this stuff is for us. So when Jesus is walking around and he's healing diseases and sicknesses and he's casting out demons and he's, and he's, he's just welcoming people, it says further on in Matthew, he's in the same location. In Matthew chapter, I believe it's nine, he's in the same location um, in Galilee. And he says it ha he had such compassion for the people. He had this, this deep compassion for the people. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd. He said they were like uh, sheep that had no, nobody to care for them, nobody to protect them, no one to lead them and guide them. And, and, and this is what he's saying when he's healing people. He's, he's announcing the kingdom verbally, but he's actually showing them what it does physically. Now, if there's two different kingdoms, question is, which one do we feed? And let's just talk a little bit about some ways that happens. 
Let's talk about, you know, the idea of racism right now in our country and how racism, there's something in the human condition that wants to divide and segment and split off and hide and fight. And the kingdom way to responding to racism, okay, is to revolt against the powers that want to divide. It's the kingdom response. And I got to be honest with you. A lot of the cultural responses to racism right now aren't doing that. And Christians are jumping on board with them. Okay? I'm just being really honest with you. That you have to be careful about the things because some of those movements still want to divide. And we have to look bigger picture. And we have to be very, very intentional about our lives. Think about pornography. And looking at images, we actually think, sometimes I talk to guys all the time, it's not a big deal, it's not hurting anybody, but here's the thing, you're feeding an institutional evil. And we think of bigger picture stuff with this. That there's two kingdoms, and this one is big. We talk about how many Christians are held in captivity with talk radio and political fear. That fear is everywhere right now. And, and, and people on both sides of the political aisle are profiting big with this one. And we have to have a different view. We have to. We have to have a two-kingdom view, not a two-party view. What, what darkness, what, what darkness do we feed with our tongues? What darkness do we feed with our sexuality? What darkness do we feed with our finances? Think about the words that have devastated you in your life. Some of you are still trying to climb out of a hole that someone just threw a bomb and just dug a hole with your word, their words about you. And you're still living out of those words. It's still a script in your mind. Think about that. Think about the words that can have the, a way of like pulling us out and reconciling us and, and, and into goodness and truth and beauty and how we could be a part of that in someone's life just by choosing our words. See, this warfare bit is, a, is much more than hunting for demons, okay? It's much more than that. The reason we live generously is because we want to revolt against the powers that feed greed. That's why we live generously. That's why we're called to live with reconciliation. We seek reconciliation because we want to revolt against the powers that are choosing or, or, or shouting revenge, 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 right? See, what this is supposed to be, this little gathering, is supposed to be a, a weekly reminder that we are the most subversive people on the planet. That's what it's supposed to be. And there's collections of these little subversive groups all over Arvada and Denver. And that's what we need to remind ourselves. The problem is, is we end up feeding, we end up um, adding to the darkness more than we think. It's just something we do. Whether it's privately or public, publicly, we, we end up adding to it a little bit more than we think. And 
if you see your life as a life that's involved in warfare, and if you follow Jesus, that's what your life is, then living intentionally and progressively as people who are trying to shine like stars, that's our agenda, right? That's why we need each other's help. I need yours. You need each other. You need mine. We need each other's help to do this because on our own, we have a certain agenda. So this morning as we come and do communion together, this might be a, just a phenomenal opportunity for us as a community to do something very biblical, very scriptural, and that's to repent. That's to really acknowledge where we are in different areas of our lives. And the word repent is this idea of turning around and acknowledging it and turning around. And so the question I would ask for you is this, is there a place that you've given the enemy authority in your life? It's an area of pride or anger or lust or greed. Where have you missed seeing this peace in your life? Where have you let things go? And what does it look like to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness in that way today? As we approach the table, as we actually come to the table, and when Jesus' uh, first, you know, first communion moment with his disciples, he's sitting around the table with people he knows are going to betray him, who are going are gonna, are gonna to deny him, who are never going to be around during his crucifixion. And really, they're not going to totally get it until way down the road, right? So he's sitting around this group of people that they're kind of a hodgepodge of, of imperfect, broken, messed up guys around a table, and, and he welcomes them. He breaks bread with them. He passes the cup to them. When he breaks the bread, he talks about the symbol of his own body being broken for them. And, it, and when he passes the cup, he talks about his blood being shed for them. And yet in the midst of that, he invites them into what he's doing. And that's what he does for us today. And he does that for us today, even, even as we know there are things that we have to deal with. There's things that we have to repent of and move into. And so this morning... On your chair, as we, as we begin this time of worship, there's just a small little card. And there's pens around, and this, this is just an exercise for you. You don't have to participate if you don't want to. But if you know what that is, if you know what that place in your life has been lately, a constant source of a battle, and you are tired of fighting it, or maybe it's just something you've become aware of in your own spirit this morning as the spirit has led you in your own heart and life. Maybe there's a word or a phrase that you want to just write down in repentance this morning. And as you come to the table, this right in the middle here, we have this, I have no idea what that is. It's this thing. We got this thing. And, and just bring it throw it in there. You don't have to put your name on it. We're not going to be like, oh man, you know, we're just, we just want you to bring it to the table. Bring it to the table and experience grace. 
and experience a chance for you to say, yes, I'm part of this. Yes, following Jesus means I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this war, a revolt against this world. Not against people. Paul says that very clear. You're not at war against people. People are easy to war against, right? Well, show him. It's not what you're... You're not against people. You're not against politicians. You're not against other voters. You're not against your neighbor across the street. You're not against the driver you're driving. You're not against people. You're against the powers of this, this age. And we subvert it through tools like forgiveness and sacrifice, generosity selflessness, kindness, joy, bringing peace and encouragement to people in our lives. See, here's the thing. Our vision around here is this. We strive to recognize and participate the kingdom of God and to be the people that live inviting and distinct lives of discipleship. That's our vision. That's what we want to do. And what, you know what that really means? We want to be a people that live at depth. And there's a certain depth to us. And depth is hard, but God's calling us to a different level because you can't understand the message and mission of Jesus without understanding that there's warfare. And you can't understand you following Jesus without understanding you're in the middle of it. And I'll say one more thing before we come to the table. I heard a story this week about, um, and some of you have probably heard this before, but there's a famous preacher in uh, the UK back in the day, named Charles Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, and he was an amazing communicator, and he was part of this huge revival in England, and there were four seminary students that showed up at his church one Sunday, and they showed up early to check out this church, like see how big it was, and how many people came to it, and all that kind of stuff, and the doors were locked, and they went around the side, and uh, they knocked at the door, and, and somebody opened the door, this man opened the door and um, he said, hey, uh, what can I do? And they're like, hey, can we see the, the church? And he's like, sure, let me give you a tour. And instead of going to the sanctuary, instead of going to all these other places where the people would be gathering, he took them downstairs underneath into the basement of the church. He took them to the boiler room. He said, I want to show you uh, the boiler room. And they're like, we don't need to see the boiler room. And he's like, no, come here, you need to see the boiler room. So he takes them downstairs, and it gets hotter and hotter as they go down the steps. And they turn the corner, and there are 700 people praying on the floor of the boiler room in the basement of this church before the service even started. And I thought that was so powerful to think about because as we begin to think about what it looks does it look like for us to be a praying church, and we begin to meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45 to pray, and you are more than welcome to join us. In fact, in your life, if you find it difficult to pray, I would encourage you to be around people who do, okay? And so as we come to the table this morning and we, we sing one last song as we do communion, um, take your time. In the middle, there is gluten-free crackers, and on the sides, there is bread and as Jesus said, on that night he was portrayed, he broke this bread and he passed it to the disciples. 
And he said, this is my body broken for you. And the cup he passed to the disciples and he said, this is my blood.